we've already seen in our, in our summer series. And a lot of times uh, we're looking at Psalms where uh, the psalmist is, is dealing with despair. He's dealing with darkness, uh, dealing with depression. And, 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 the, and the psalmist is really uh, walking through that darkness and showing us what it looks like to walk through that darkness uh, with God. And I was watching, um, I was flipping through the channels this week, and uh, you're familiar with the movie Dumb and Dumber. Maybe, maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't. But there's a famous scene in the movie where uh, Jim Carrey, you know, he's been chasing after this lady uh, through the entire movie. They went across uh, the country, and he has faced so many difficulties. Uh, he's, he's jumped so many hurdles, uh, him and his buddy. And then finally, he gets to, to this girl that, that he has an interest in, and he asks her, he says, um, you know, he, he basically he just tells her, you know, his feelings for her, and he says, it, 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 do you, how do you feel about me? Is there a chance that, that, that you care about me the way I care about you? And she says, no, there's not, not a chance in the world. And, um, and he, he's like, well, you know, what are, we, what are we saying here? Is there like, you know, one in a hundred, one in a thousand? And then she's like, no, it's more like, you know, one in a million. And, he's, and his response is, so you're telling me there's a chance, you know? And, and I just thought to myself, you know, uh, it's, we only can know hope if we've truly experienced despair. So he had went through all this pain, uh, but, but he still had a little bit of hope, although it was a false hope. But, but I find that interesting um, because, well, you know, we're a people, we live with a lot of despair and discouragement. Uh, we live with hurt. We live with pain. Um, and some, all, some, not all, but some in many cases, um, most of the discouragement and the pain that we experience, it comes because we desire things that are unattainable. You know, this girl that Jim Carrey was pursuing, she was just unattainable. Uh, so he was going to continue uh, to get hurt. But we want the wrong things. And when those things that we want get frustrated, uh, then we begin to go down uh, the pit of despair. We are a people who know what it's like uh, to have frustrated desires. A lot of times those frustrated desires are not necessarily evil desires. You know, you can have desires for things that are morally neutral. Uh, in some cases, uh, even good, but you take things that are secondary importance and you make them uh, primary importance. And your failure to reach them ends up driving you down into the pit. So for example, you know, you want to get out of debt. You know, a lot of us want to get out of debt. That, that's a good desire. Uh, the book of Proverbs says that the borrower is a slave to the lender. Uh, we don't want to be slaves to anybody, right? That's a good thing. But my desire for financial freedom can ultimately frustrate me, you know, every time the air conditioner breaks or, or someone rear ends me or whatever can happen uh, that can frustrate me financially. So what happens often is the things that we desire end up being the enemy of our joy. We want things that sometimes are forbidden. We want things that sometimes are of secondary importance. But today I want us to think about what it looks like to desire that which is of the utmost importance. Today I want us to ask, what, why should God be the chief longing and desire of my soul? All right, why should God be the chief longing and desire of my soul? To think about this today, we'll be looking at Psalm 84, as I mentioned. We're going to walk through, um, you know, we've been walking through this summer series and the Psalms. Uh, we've been walking through various Psalms this summer, looking at the good news that, can, that 
that's contained in these psalms. Even like last week in Psalm 88, complete darkness, but there was still good news in that psalm. What it looks like to have joy in God, what it looks like to have comfort in the midst of despair. That's what these psalms do for us. What it looks like to praise God even when times are hard. Uh, so this week, uh, we're in Psalm 84. And if you remember, there's a song that came out like in the 90s, a Christian song, uh, Better is One Day in Your Court. That's where that song came from. It came from, from Psalm 84. It was an incredibly too long song. I remember, you know, we sang it. It would like take you 10 minutes to sing it. But it's a good song, though. So what we have here is another of the songs of the sons of Korah. Uh, we really don't know much about those guys, uh, but apparently they were temple singers who wrote songs for the people to sing together. And a lot of times it had to do with longing. A lot of times it had to do with wanting to worship God together. And here today in Psalm 84, we are going to hear the psalmist express his longing to be in the temple and to meet with God and how God meets him in dry places and turns them into places of plenty. And, and so in this today, as we walk through this psalm, <clears throat> we're going to see three powerful reasons that tell us why God should be the chief desire and longing <clears throat> for our souls. So let's look at this together. All right, Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts. My King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, save all. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointing. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Uh, God, uh, we just pray that you would sanctify us by the truth today. Your word is truth. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning as we walk through this psalm, I want us to see three overwhelming reasons why God should be the chief desire and longing for our souls. And the first reason is this. God shows grace to those who who need, who need them. God shows grace to those who uh, know that they need them. The psalmist starts here by talking about longing for the temple and dwelling place of God. He says, how lovely is your dwelling place? And this will most likely be talking about the temple. Verse 1 says, how lovely is your dwelling place, or the, O Lord of hosts? 
<clears throat> so the temple was, was so important to them because the temple was not just a place where they met and where they worshiped God together. No, the temple was the place where the presence of God lived. Right? If they wanted to be in the presence of God, if they wanted to stop and to meet with God, they went and did that in the temple. And so when he's talking about how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, he's not saying, you know, he's not saying, I love the carpet, I love the stained glass windows. He's saying, here, how lovely is this place? Because this is the place where I can come and meet with you, God. Notice what he says. He says, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Notice here the kind of wording that he is using. He's speaking here of his whole body and soul um, uh, being thirsty and parched. Uh, you know, you take a man and you put him in the, in the middle of a desert and think about how desperately he would long for a drink of cold, uh, of cold, fresh water, uh, a, cup of, a cup of cold water. And the psalmist is saying that this is the disposition of his heart towards God. <clears throat> he, he's basically saying it's like a thirsty man in the middle of the desert. He longs to come and meet with God. He needs God. He, he yearns for God. He wants God. Uh, he, he points out, he says, there are even birds that come and live at the temple. He says that they, they get to lay their young here. And, and, and so blessed are, those, blessed are those joyous, happy are the people who dwell in your house, who sing your praise. The Bible uses this language often, our desire for God, our need for God. It expresses it in terms of hunger and thirst. Knowing God, loving God, being known by God, and then having the joy that, that God gives is as necessary, the Bible often says, as you need for food and water. Needing um, God is a basic need. That's why the Bible uses this language. Uh, in Psalm 42, it says, As a deer pants uh, for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, God. There again is that longing and that thirst. The, the, the Bible even uses language about hunger and thirst to talk about the way that we look for joy in all the wrong places. So in Jeremiah 2, uh, God says, I've got a complaint with my people. They have abandoned me, the, the, the fountain of living waters, and they have built cisterns for themselves that ultimately holds no water. So in talking about the propensity that, that his people have to try to abandon him and go after different things, he says, what you've done is, is you have abandoned living water. And instead, you're drinking water out of a stone jar that has cracks in it that can't even hold water. And I think it's a great metaphor for the way that we look for joy in all the wrong places. There's a stream over here where we can find fresh water, but instead we go build these stone pots with, with algae that have lukewarm water in them with cracks at the bottom and it doesn't even hold water. That's what we'll go to a lot of times. We look for joy a lot of times in all the wrong places. And Jesus addressed uh, our longing and our desire for him when he stood up over in John chapter 7 at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles and he said that if any man were to thirst, let him come to me and drink and out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. In other words, Jesus says if your soul is thirsty, 
if you know your soul is thirsty, if you know there's something you are missing, if there is a deep longing and, and a desire that you have, come to me and you can drink freely. And you will have flowing from within you rivers of living water. He says your thirst will be forever quenched. Jesus is saying you have the innermost desire in your souls and I will fill it freely and completely so that it replenishes itself over and over again. And notice though, if any man thirsty, if any man is thirsty, come to me and drink. And, and what is the, the gift that, that Jesus gives? It's, it's himself. The greatest gift that God can ever give you is himself. If I were to come to you today and say, you know, what is one thing that, that you want God uh, to give you? What would that be? You know, I'm sure we could come up with a lot of different things. Uh, but whatever answer we might give, whatever thing we think uh, that we need, um, you know, God, if you were to give me this, you know, it would really make me happy. Uh, they would all pale into comparison to the answer, uh, God, I just want you. You know, I just want you and you alone. Every blessing that God gives is intended to, to, to lead us back to him, right? So when we trust in Jesus, uh, when we are made right with God, when we trust in Jesus, we are reconciled to God. Uh, when we trust in Jesus, we are adopted by God. The greatest gift God can give us is himself. He takes your shame and he wipes it away. He takes your shame and he forgives it completely. He takes your isolation and he replaces it with hope because he adopts you as his child. And the only thing you need is to know that you need him. That's what Tim Keller said. He said, the only thing you need is need, right? The only thing you need is to know that you need him. And so the only way you can miss out on this is, that, is if you think that that's beneath you. You know, if you think, no, I don't need gospel, then, then, then you'll miss it. So, so God should be the greatest longing of our souls because God gives grace. He shows grace to the one who knows that they need him. Right. Secondly, God should be the chief desire and longing of our souls because God gives strength to those who know they need it. God should be the chief desire and longing of our souls because God gives strength to those who know they need it. He gives strength to those who know they need it, and he gives strength to those who trust him. So let's go back into the psalm, Psalm 84, verse 5. It says, blessed are those whose strength is in you. Again, this word blessed here, it's not this trite, um, yeah. it's not this trite way that we use the word blessed. Uh, you know, if I might see somebody at Christmas time, you know, you ask them how they're doing, they say, I'm blessed. And I'm blessed. It's like, what does that even mean? You know, um, you, you never really know what exactly blessed means in that context. But blessed here means like uh, you possess a deep inward joy that only God can give. And so the psalmist says, blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. They go through the valley of Baca, verse 5 and 6. Now what this basically means is, is you can figure it out as you read, because it says they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. In other words, when they go through a desolate place, it turns into a place that is flowing with living and refreshing water. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God's eye. Well, what's the basic point that the psalmist is making here? How is he saying there is a deep, he is saying that there is a deep inward joy that comes from knowing that God alone is your strength, right? Well, um, 
that there, there's two really uh, weird conversations going on in our culture right now simultaneously. One, one conversation is, uh, there's a lot of conversations going on, but you'll understand the context. One conversation is, uh, tell yourself that you're strong, tell yourself that you're not broken, uh, you can do anything that you put your mind to, you know, I'm not going to say negative things about myself, I'm just going to believe the best about myself uh, at all costs. And at the same time, there's a conversation about the power of, of recognizing your vulnerabilities. Uh, and, and there is a lot of talk, particularly, and I quoted the book last week uh, called Daring Greatly. And that's about the power of leading and working from your vulnerabilities. And, and so we've got these two interesting conversations going on in our culture at the same time. One is saying, always say that I am strong. Make positive affirmations about yourself. And another one is saying, you know that you're, you, you know what your vulnerabilities are <clears throat> because your strength only comes through vulnerability. <clears throat> and, and I would probably side more with um, strength only comes through your vulnerability, uh, but I would go even deeper. I think the Bible does too. And it is, you, you don't have any strength until you're able to admit where you are weak. Um, our strength always fails. There is always a limit to the strength that we have to get through life. Every single day you will go through new things that, that test your limits. You will go through things that will make you realize, you know, I don't possess, possess enough of this in my soul by myself. But when we trust in God, when we put our trust in Him, uh, when we walk by faith, uh, what the psalmist says here is that we find out that God has an infinite supply of strength. Your supply of strength is finite. It kind of depends, you know, on how much you slept last night, you know, what's been going on lately, how much life has been wearing you down. Um, our strength is finite. Uh, it is limited based on our circumstances, based on our age, uh, based on a host of other factors. I'm sure you can relate to all that. But God's strength knows no limitations. Right? Knows nothing. It stays the same throughout eternity. Nothing strains God's strength. Nothing ever zaps his power. Instead, he has so much that he freely gives it to you and me. And that's really good news. Um, every time we meet. And so whatever difficulty in life you walk through, and even just the difficulty of every day itself, continually come to a place where you can say, God, I trust you. Give me the strength I need to make it through today. Give me the strength I need to follow and to obey you. Give me the strength I need to find joy in you and not in other places. And continually submit yourself to the power that only God gives. And you will find an unlimited supply of God's strength. And with that strength comes an unlimited supply of God's joy. You've heard that, you know, have y'all ever heard that? You know, God will never give you more than you can handle. Have you heard that? Um, you, you, you will never find that in the Bible. That's, that's nowhere in the Bible. God will, will never test you uh, without providing a way of escape. But I will tell you this, God will routinely place more on you than, than you can handle. You will regularly go through things that are thoroughly and completely beyond your strength. God will let you do that. Uh, so that you get an ever-present reminder that the strength you need is from God and from God alone. 
right? I, I don't have enough strength to do this. I don't know if I can do this. Good. You know, if you say that, you're probably in a really good place. The best place you can be is when you say, I can't do this on my own, because that is the very first moment you are being honest with yourself to tap into the strength that God gives. And we see what happens, verse 6. Look at verse 6. I realize, you know, and I realize none of you probably thought of the, the valley of Baca when you woke up this morning, but every person in this room knows what it's like to go through dry and desolate and weary times, right? Can you imagine walking through a dry, a desolate, and a weary time knowing that you are never alone? Knowing that wherever you are and wherever God is calling you to and whatever obedience looks like and whatever having joy in the midst of difficulty looks like, God is there to fill you. Can, can you imagine uh, knowing that? That, 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 is, that is what takes your desolate places, your deserts, and turns them into an oasis. It's constantly saying, God, I, I don't have, you have more of it than I could ever imagine. Please fill me with it. Listen, God gives strength to those who trust him. I love that over in Colossians 1, Paul talks about how he worked tirelessly through the strength that God gave him. Over in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about this thorn in the flesh, and we want to obsess a lot over what that thorn in the flesh was. Uh, but here's the most important part, is Paul prays three times that God would take that thorn from him, and, and what does God say? He, he, he doesn't take it from him. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So are you weak? Are you tired? Are you weary? That, that's good. In that very place, God meets you with his strength, with his strength and with his joy. And lastly, I want us to see that not only should God be the, be the chief longing and desire of our hearts uh, because he gives grace to those who need it, uh, not only uh, because he gives strength to those who trust him, but finally, I want you to see that God gives joy to those who value him. God gives joy to those who value him. It's interesting to read discussions about what is going on in our culture uh, with us mentally and emotionally. Words like despair, uh, depression, anxiety, uh, you know, they come up over and over again. And, and you know, we believe in every, every single one of those words. They're all real. Depression is real. Despair is real. Anxiety is real. Uh, we don't act as if they are a mirage. Uh, and take a Romans 8.28 approach where, you know, everything will be okay in the morning. Just, just shake it off. We don't think like that at all. And what I'm going to say this morning is that in your pain, um, in your despair, in your anxiety, God is there to meet you appropriate supply of joy so that you can experience joy in the midst of difficulty and hardship and pain. Now let's dive in. Verse 8. Verse 8 says, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Now why would he say, O God of Jacob? There's, you know, there's no throwaway verses in the Bible. Uh, he, he's saying, O God of Jacob, because he's looking back and he's saying, God, I'm looking back to the fathers. I'm looking back because of thousands of years uh, you've made promises and you've kept them. And, and God, I remember Jacob seeing the ladder with the angels going between heaven and earth. And I remember the promise that you made to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, and you have kept all your promises. And so God, who keeps promises to his people, hear my prayer to you. And he says in verse 9, behold, our shield, O God, 
look on the face of your anointed. So he prays a blessing on the anointed king. And then he says in verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. He says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And lastly, verse 12, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. He pictures the temple again. The temple is the place, like we said, where the glory of God would dwell. This is where the presence of God was. And he says, God, it is better to spend one day in your presence, one day experiencing your joy and your strength and the fullness you give than it is to live a thousand days anywhere else. He says, God, this is so true that I would rather be a doorkeeper, basically, uh, basically, I would rather take up residence just on the edge of the edge of where your presence is than to live in the tents of the wicked. And, you know, you might think, you know, living in a tent, that doesn't really sound very good. Um, but in that day, uh, that's all that most people have. Uh, people who had a place to live, they were living in a tent. So it did sound good. In our day, this would be like, you know, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord rather than to live on the house in a house on a hill, right? So that, that kind of makes more sense to you. Uh, he is saying it is better. It is infinitely better to experience the presence of God and to know God personally and intimately than it is to live in the lap of luxury or to live a thousand days doing anything else. He says God is of ultimate worth, and our joy comes by recognizing that God is our ultimate value. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Weight of Glory, and in it he wrote of this temptation we have to look for joy in all the wrong places, in places that don't satisfy. He said we are half-hearted creatures. C.S. Lewis would have lived in the 30s and 40s, uh, so the wording is a little different. He said we are half-hearted creatures. He said we fool about <clears throat> with drink and different relationships and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. He said, like little kids who go on making mud pies in the slum because they don't know what is offered by a holiday at sea, by a vacation at sea. And then he says, we are far too easily pleased. We are far too easier, uh, we are far too um, easily pleased with lesser joys. And think about it, God, if, if I could just pay off this debt, uh, if this person would just like me, if I could just look this certain way, uh, if I just have this job, if I could just get this promotion, then everything else would fall into place. So we've all fought like that. And, and so many times, though, when we finally get the if, um, when we finally get what we wanted, you know, it still doesn't bring the then. Right? But the only thing that brings the then is when we say, God, uh, will you be my chief? Um, will, will you be my chief joy and ambition? God, help me find all of my rest and all of my joy and the value and approval that I've always been looking for. It's that when we truly get what we need. Father, help me find this in you. It is then uh, that we begin to experience the joy that, that we were uh, created to experience. Now, this, I'm not saying uh, put God first and everything else will fall into place. Uh, 
Uh, that's another thing that you will not find in the Bible. Nowhere does it talk about making God your top priority and everything else will fall into place. Nothing ever falls into place. Everything is a struggle for which we need God's strength on this side of heaven. Everything is a matter of walking in obedience. But this much is true. When God is the chief joy and desire in our heart, there is enough joy and enough strength for us to keep going and to walk in obedience and to help us uh, keep doing what God has called us to do. There is enough strength to get through the difficult times. There is enough joy to make it through the despair. And there is enough to keep us looking toward our great future hope when we will need strength no more because there will be no more obstacles when the joy will be everlasting because there will be no more sin, when there will be no more pain, when there will be no more despair. And so we keep looking towards that. We keep trusting in Jesus, walking by faith, looking towards his strength. And we get to do it on the side of the cross of Jesus Christ. Think about the psalmist. He was just looking at the temple, you know, saying all this stuff. But for us, we're on this side of the cross. So we're looking at Jesus. We don't have to go sit on the outskirts of a physical location because the fullness of God's presence came to earth in Jesus Christ. He gave his life for us. So when we trust him, the fullness of God lives in us through God's Holy Spirit. When we begin to talk about God's strength being in you, when we begin to talk about God's joy being in you, when we begin to talk about God's endurance being in you, we're not talking about something where you have to say, uh, you know, I have to be strong enough to get more strength or I have to be strong enough to get more joy. <clears throat> no, through Christ, when we trust him, it is in us through God's spirit. And we trust in him and we walk with him and we value him and we obey him so that we see more and more of it in our lives through Christ Jesus our Lord. So the question for us today is not, uh, can I work hard enough to have strength? It's not, can I be good enough to have joy? Uh, it's not, can I get what I want so that I can uh, have what I've always wanted? No, the question is, do we know how desperately we need God? Do we know that everything we have <coughs> always been looking for is found in God and in God alone? And we will trust ourselves to him. Will we do that so that we can begin to experience it, so that we can begin to experience what it is or what it looks like to walk through life with God's strength, to walk through life with God's joy, to walk through life with real hope? Will we find those things in Christ and in Christ alone? I pray we do. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, it's so easy uh, to get distracted uh, with things that, that we think we need, even good things, morally neutral things, but, but, but really good things. Good things that, that um, can cause us to flourish, uh, but God, um, we need to remember that you are an ultimate value and an ultimate help and an ultimate need in our lives more than anything else. So I pray uh, as we continue in this service that uh, your truths and your graces and your mercies uh, will cause our hearts to have greater affections for you than anything else in this world. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.